This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for March 8th, 2016. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, Team Secret surprises us yet again with a win at the Dota 2 Shanghai Major. And later on in the show, we'll have some sad news about the future of esports today. But first, we welcome Counter-Strike global offensive expert Joe Wong back to the show to help us answer the question, is Fnatic losing rounds on purpose just to make things more exciting for themselves? <laughs> uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So yeah, that was actually like, in my mind, that's actually a real question because we saw that like a few times at this tournament where Fnatic would get these huge deficits. They would get down so far and it seemed like they just did it because they wanted to have more fun, make it more exciting for the crowd. Like my running theory right now is that Fnatic knows they're so much better than everybody else that they'll kind of ruin the scene if they <laughs> actually show their might every so, single time and no one will on. watch anymore. This is a theory I advanced months ago. Remember, I was like, <laughs> Fnatic seemed to be like just practicing like comeback stuff. Although, wait, no, no, that was the, that was the League of Legends team. So this is the second oh, time right, right, the, right. the throwing theory has surfaced but in in different <laughs> games both times i think involving fanatic but yeah no but but the thing but the thing i, I would say andrew is i think you're crazy when it comes to the <laughs> fanatic counter-strike team uh but but joe what do you make of this sort of uh this pattern we're seeing with fanatic where they where they go as far as they possibly can and then they reel it back in oh uh, i mean Last week, when you guys predicted Fnatic, you know, to basically be a shoe in for the winner, I almost sent in a strongly worded email saying, "Okay, they're good, but they're not this good." Okay, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, they won, but you know, I I, I wouldn't go that far to say that you know they're sort of a, an entire tier ahead of every single team that they can you know afford to sort of play with their food. Um, but it, it seems like when we have two different kinds of fanatic where they, they it, it does feel like when they turn on the Jets, when they're actually playing to form, when they have to win, um, there's no other team that even touches them. They feel completely in control of the map. And it seems like every other team is even uh, even Luminosity, who played phenomenally well throughout this entire tournament and who put up a really great fight against uh, against fanatic and made it really really exciting but when fanatic turned on those jets it felt like luminosity was just struggling to keep their head above water in this match and, and actually make a decent showing yeah you know i i wrote a little piece um last year talking about a nip versus fanatic uh, match and you know i was just kind of discussing the roles in which fanatic had and sort of how Pronax had all these tools at his disposal. And, you know, most teams, they have one or two star players. But Fnatic, if you if you look at the roster at, at that time with the Pronax lineup, they had, you know, four stars that had very, you know, they, they played off each other extremely well. When when JW wouldn't go big, you had Olofmeister and Flusher as sort of backups and Crims as the sort of backline defense for everything. Um, and now, you know, they've kind of let Pronax go. They've brought on uh, Vugo as the coach and they have Dennis. And it's pretty much just more of the same. You, you lose a bit of tactical play, um, but you, you still have that, you know, all-star, like truly all-star lineup of, okay, this guy's not performing well, but, you know, Olaf Meister's here to help or Olaf's sick. Mm -hmm. So you have Crims on the B site who's going to stop everything. So, you know, there's there's a lot of sort of 
I guess, checks and balances in play here for a team. And it's, and it's very, very rare to have a team, to team, you know, play, play this well and have this many stars. But I feel I feel like Joe at that point you're almost conceding the point. Like you 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 started out by saying, "Well, come on, <laughs> Fnatic isn't isn't that much better," but they do have amazing players at every single position, and they can basically be put on match point time after time and just win. Like they can they can spot you 15 rounds and then win 16 straight. Like that kind of seems where we where we've ended up. Okay, well. Yes, it's true, but there, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the early NIP lineup in sort of early CSGO, where they had that, you know, very fa- infamous at this point, 87 and zero win streak, where they literally won 87 games offline um, without dropping a single, single game. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that that's mainly attributed to their, to their style. And um, eventually, you know, one of the players is going to sort of falter or, you know, a, a team like Luminosity or Navi are going to form tactics to counter that because mm-hmm. a team with all-stars will lack something. You know, they'll have that that amazing sure. aim and, you know, you, you can count on them to win, you know, nine out of ten duels, but sooner or later... Uh, a team will come around where they will have, you know, be superior in in a certain aspect that the fanatic is lacking. Joe, but in the long run, we're all dead. Like, <laughs> eventually, like eventually, the sun will consume the earth. But in the meantime, fanatic have basically won every t- like, with with the exception of during during the slump that sort of led to Pronax parting ways. Uh, mm-hmm. From Fnatic and that whole reshuffle taking place, with the exception of that window of that of that period, uh, across two eras, basically, this team has has been uh, like incredibly dominant. And now with the now with Dennis, uh, it's 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 sort of getting spooky, uh, in in my opinion. But uh, I I I just I, I do feel like yeah, eventually Fnatic is probably not going to be on top. Um, because they're, yes, that like eventually all things come to an end. Uh, the other thing I, I'd say, uh, and, and you can correct me on this because I didn't pay much attention to the Counter-Strike scene when NIP were on that crazy run, but my impression was that another reason that Ninjas and Pajamas were, were having this, this incredible like record setting streak was that CSGO was a very young game and it sort of felt like the transition onto, onto global offensive was still in process and the competition didn't seem quite as stiff as it, as, as it would be, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. I, I'm just curious, like your, your views on that. Yeah. I mean, Definitely isn't as big of a you know it, this the scene here is is like unprecedented in terms of Counter Strike as a sort of franchise. Um, but when you know CS:GO first started, a lot of uh, sort of Source and 1.6 pros decided, okay, this is the chance to sort of like unify the community. And you know we have the we've had this split scene for for years now. So I think like they sort of made the the decision to sort of all right let's everybody just jump into this and yeah sure it, it was a young game but you know nip still you know 
took advantage of that and um you know really really made that stretch that early stretch their their you know undisputed um champions of it yeah you know it, at, at this point though it's something like what rob said which uh, at this point in the conversation, we're comparing Fnatic to NIP, which holds the most impressive win streak in the history of esports, <laughs> most likely. And, and so, like to 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 even suggest, I think that that Fnatic isn't in a league of their own is is really incre- is incredible to me. And you know, I was watching this tournament uh, this weekend with a friend of mine who who doesn't follow Counter Strike very specifically. He's into esports, uh, but doesn't follow Counter Strike. And he was watching it, and he was like, I, "I don't understand. It's like no matter what round, no matter who is left on Fnatic, any one of them is capable of pulling off a quadra kill at any point, and you never know when it's going to happen." Like any player on Fnatic is capable of just completely knocking the wind out of the other team. And that seems to me to be the way that. Um, that Fnatic has pulled off a lot of these big comebacks is, you know, Flusha will get a quad kill or something like that. Or you'll see that like, the most poignant moment in the, uh, in the, the championship match between Luminosity and Fnatic uh, was an overtime round uh, in which Olaf Meisters, I believe, is the last man standing. He's got a sniper rifle and there's two Luminosity members coming directly at him. He just whips it out, points it right down the barrel and kills both of them with one shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I think the entire, like, the wind just left the stadium at that moment. And everybody was just left with their hands on their foreheads thinking, like, how do you beat this team when any one of them can just just completely take the wind out of your sails? Yeah, I mean, I think part of my sort of hesitation in sort of ch- crowning Fnatic this, uh, you know, unbeatable team is is just the fact that a, I'm a huge Luminosity fanboy, so mm-hmm. I'm always gonna, you know, hold out hope for for those guys. And and B, as sort of an analyst, these teams are sort of the teams that you hate the most because <laughs> they're, you know, they're almost completely reliant on player, you know, player form and player skill on on, on the day. So they're you can you can base your sort of analysis on past results, but in terms of tactics, in terms of preparation and in sort of, you know, things coming into the event, it's kind of a crapshoot. You can say like, oh yeah, Fnatic's going to do amazing. But then on the actual day, you know, Crims and Olaf could be not feeling that well and then just miss all their, miss all their duels. And they, and at that point they, they have nothing to fall back on. You know, they can't say, okay, let's do this super, this, this smoke take that we've never shown before because there's, there's nothing like that to come out for them. Though I, I would say what we've seen is that Crimson Olaf have a bad round and that's when Dennis goes, you know, Dennis goes crazy, right? Like, and that's yeah. the eerie thing about Fnatic is that, like, if a couple guys have an off day, um, you know, someone else is going to be at the at the far at the far end of their statistical bell curve going the other direction right mm-hmm. they they're going to they're going to be uh having sort of a round for the record books but i do understand the frustration like let me let me ask you this cuz cuz I, I think this is sort of what you're driving at it feels like when you talk about the pronax squad uh of of last year and the year before uh you're talking about a team that played counter strike maybe a little more the way that you like to watch which is sort of this tactical rehearsed uh like very like strategic uh version of of counter strike whereas the fanatic of today are kind of allowing for, kind of letting like crazy individual mechanical skill make up for occasionally non-existent game plans yeah you know like a, a a really good um, 
sort of example of this is uh, their sort of cash strategy. And Pronax would do, you know, would play off this really well by gathering information. And, and that's a very viable strategy, you know, getting information for your team and using each sort of pawn, each tool to your advantage. And then from there, playing off something else. Whereas if you, if you watch cash in, in the luminosity game, they were just going crazy. You know, they're just like running around. They're just like, like JW and all of mice are going actually like crazy. And when, when that kind of count, when that gameplay happens, it kind of ceases to be the tactical game that Counter-Strike can be. And, and mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing, I guess, because obviously if it's working, then, you know, they're, they're hitting their shots and, and they're doing well, but it's just not the kind of Counter-Strike I like to watch, I guess. It's railgun levels of Quake, basically, right. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I understand, though. But I do want to talk a little bit about that about that final, just, just touch on it. Because the, the thing that I, I think we do have to say, though, is that Luminosity are for real. Oh, like yeah. absolutely, I, I think if Fnatic hadn't psyched them out so badly, uh, with with some of the clutch play that that we saw coming out of them, like Luminosity seem like they're absolutely now in that in that top tier of uh, of Counter Strike teams, uh, you know, up there with up there with the Navi's of the world, and uh, well, at this point, ahead of the uh, Envies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Fallen is honestly. At this point, what like my all-time favorite CS:GO player because this dude mm -hmm. is, you know, when when we talk about I, I don't know if if we talked about Team Liquid like Adren or or any sort of in-game leader when we talk about you know how hard it is to be an in-game leader and then play a different role you know most in-game leaders are usually at the bottom of the scoreboard and they're usually a support player or you know they're too busy calling and looking at you know how much money uh you know where each player is etc to sort of con to sort of play off their own game um this guy's literally doing four or five things four or five roles at, at the same time <laughs> while bringing another brazilian team up with him and making like strategy videos and everything in brazilian and english like every week this dude is like absolutely crazy because you know the the level of excellence that this guy has achieved in 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 this short time um is absolutely insane so how did how did you feel about uh, how luminosity performed this weekend you mentioned being a really big fan like did this was it was this a pleasant surprise for you or were you disappointed they couldn't actually uh get the win over fanatic yeah i mean you know luminosity and and fallen always says they're they're looking for their first major victory, their first tournament win, their first sort of international land, because they've proven now that they can beat these top teams in best of threes and best of ones. Um, and that Navi game was, that overpass game was absolutely crazy. It's a absolute must watch if you have not seen that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think after that, that overpass game against Fnatic, it was uh it was really a a must win match for them uh map sorry and after that going into cash and inferno two of fanatic's best maps it was just it was just a little too much to ask i think um and yeah so i i'm disappointed that they lost but you, you know they're they're getting stronger every yeah. day. and so you mentioned that um 
that first map was kind of a must win for them and you could kind of tell you know and we talk about this when in with regards to counter-strike all the time on the show that you can kind of feel uh the spirit go out of a team when they lose a critical map or when they lose a, even just a critical round or something terrible happens to them in a round they just sort of like lose their momentum they lose their stride and you know rob and i talked about this in in terms of this that moment that i talked about with uh with all of all of meister getting that double kill in overtime um, you know, is that a thing? Are those moments when somebody gets an important quadrilateral, or when somebody, when Olaf Meister gets that double kill, do you feel like Counter Strike teams actually can well, lose a match right there? I, you know, I mean, for me, I don't think I don't think it's the crazy clutch plays that break a team's spirit. Like from from talking to like from from talking to pros on this point, what actually seems to be most dangerous is losing those crazy intense matches overall like rounds go rounds go bad like crazy things happen in rounds but i think for like for luminosity to allow fanatic to make a comeback like that to end up in overtime and then come up short i think that's what breaks you right like olaf getting a crazy shot that's one thing but i man i i think the the emotional component of close counter-strike of close maps and Counter-Strike uh, plays a huge role in, uh, in in best of threes. I mean, absolutely. But it, so losing a close round or a close map is one thing and getting completely trounced by an amazing play is one thing. But when you combine them together, like Olaf Meister did in overtime with that double kill, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm, what I'm saying that both those those factors come together and you start to feel the sense of inevitability that this team just starts to doubt themselves, I think. Yeah, I mean, it it's it's hard to say, you know, it, it varies from team to team how much a sort of um, a lost clutch round or like a, a round that your team should have won and then you end up losing it because your team made some mistakes. It can sometimes it can really affect the team in terms of their communication and things like that. Um, but I think LG, they've they've stated that they're, you know, they're pretty disciplined. Um, but definitely, I think when you when you're up 12 12 3 and you i think they won the pistol round on t side and then they got um they got anti eco oh. uh it, it's just it's just a crushing <laughs> feeling i think um hence that yeah. 3 3 to 16 score on the next map uh, yeah. then to come back on inferno uh, was really impressive the the one thing i want to close out um the discussion on luminosity with though is um you know the their their series against Navi was incredible, and that that back and forth on overpass was just absolutely fantastic. And Navi were pulling out crazy plays, mm-hmm. but going back to Fallen, that performance on Inferno, I I feel like that like that's one for the record books because like talk about, but you know when you're talking about like him him being the whole package, he basically like won Inferno single handed. Uh, you know that's how it felt at times because like his his play as Opper, uh, in addition to in addition to his strategy calling, uh, combined to basically make it like throughout that entire map, it felt like Navi were playing a man down because Fallen was just like getting first blood like on every single round, and he never you know he 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 never wavered like he always seemed to be able to find that position and you knew like you knew it was going to happen navi had to be watching for it to happen they couldn't stop it yeah i mean the, it it just speaks to how 
big of an impact uh, an opera can be in 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 certain maps and you know when you have an opera that an in-game leader and opera that can go up against guardian heralded as one of the world's if not the best sort of soul opera um yeah that that the, the map's pretty much over because you know especially on like a t side if you can get a early pickoff against a ct that just throws the defense in into huge uh, disarray because you know you don't know how many players you want to stack on a site you can't really have one guy on a site but then on on a on an a site if you only have two guys it's like really easy to take so you know just getting that 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 pick super early it's it's almost lights out so real quick was there anybody else any other team uh at the tournament that actually kind of surprised you and came out and 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 did better than you kind of expected um hmm. or worse did any team <laughs> do far <laughs> worse thing, than yeah. you expected yeah i mean i th- i feel like count yeah you know as much as i don't want to admit that fanatic is in a different tier i feel like the the sort of top 10 in counter strike now is is really really mixed because you have you sort of have fanatic and then you have navi astralis and and luminosity and then the the previous sort of uh you know top teams like nip virtus pro envious even phase they're really really not impressing um this year and uh, you know, I I find it hard to you know find reasons why. Um, uh, uh, you know, each team has its own sort of weaknesses and faults, so I can't really give a, a huge generalization. But yeah, I mean, th- those four teams really. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they how they do. Um, when it comes to the major. So just because we've talked about this player a few times before on the show, uh, and, and this news broke today. Uh, so in the wake of Envious, uh, continuing kind of a downward spiral uh, that's been going, been going on for a little while, and then them going to uh, Katowice and finishing last in their group, uh, they got rid of Kiyoshima. Uh, yeah, and so- very sad day. Kiyoshima is out at Envy, and he's replaced by a devil uh, who I don't know very much about. Uh, Joe, what do you make of this move? Yeah, I mean, if I, I was honestly calling the happy uh, removal because it really, really, really sounded like there were troubles in that team and happy was the number one culprit. Um, but I guess, you know, Kiyoshima, he, he wasn't putting up the numbers. And I guess, you know, as one of the entry fraggers of the team, he, you know, he's, that's what he, that's what his job is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about Devil as, as well. I think he, he's from the, one of the sort of tier two French teams, LDLC White. Um, they, they haven't really put up many results, but, you know, if you, if you look at what, if you had to make a roster change before the major, they had to pick someone that wasn't from uh, G two because it, w- it you couldn't play with with any of those players uh, in the mm-hmm. major um, because of the sort of like lockout rules. So uh, I mean I don't know how it'll work out for them, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. Well. You know, I mean, it, it seemed like it seems like it was yesterday that we were we were all sort of marveling at the the kind of play that that Kiyoshima w- was turning in. Uh, 
you know, like, yes, of late he's been off, and Andrew, you and I talked about this uh, not that long ago, but this does feel like a change that is very much kind of a hoping for the best kind of change, but not necessarily. Because mm, mm. as I understand it, uh, NBK has recently become the in-game uh, the, the in-game caller, right? He's, he's yeah. the in-game strategist. Yeah. Uh, and that... You know, I have a lot of like, I, you know, I've always been an NBK fan. I've, I have a huge admiration for his his sense of positioning, uh, and his his reads during a match. But his time as in game leader hasn't been too fantastic. And so, you know, the, like the, you know, there's this difficult question when you're looking at a team sort of collapsing like Envious. Uh, is you know, is it that the talent isn't there, players are slumping, or is the overall is is the is is the overall leadership uh starting to fail in which case you know did Kiyoshima start underperforming because he was no longer being utilized effectively yeah i mean i think when the sort of recent results uh came about i think mbk just sort of went on a rant on twitter saying like you know our team like really doesn't uh like to practice and when you have that when you have that kind of outburst from a from a in-game leader to say like you know our team isn't motivated and some players aren't practicing or whatever i think that speaks to a really grander problem in in the actual sort of core of the team that not a, a single player especially at at, a, at such a crucial time as this where you know the majors within like a few weeks um I don't I don't think a single player change is going to fix anything. Yeah, it it did sort of start to feel to me like a, a lot of these roster changes in esports do almost feel like it comes back to just a culture problem where there's just something rotten and they don't like to play with each other anymore. And I mean that 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 sounds really petty, but when you're playing with these guys you know, esports teams have to practice, you know, six to 12 hours a day. Like, it's not like sports where you can show up once a day for a couple hours and do your practice or even a few times a week and, and do practice and just get along with your teammates. If you don't like playing with your teammates, uh, there's a real big problem with there. And I wonder if that is the reason why they were having so much trouble actually getting the team out uh, and, and practicing. But personally, uh, Kiyoshima used to be, well, for a while, was actually my favorite, favorite player out there. It was so much fun to watch. But I'm actually on the taco train yeah. uh, of luminosity. So much fun to watch that guy. Uh over the weekend is i saw a lot of that kiyoshima magic that really made me just feel that joy for counter-strike again watching that guy play uh but yeah all right you know that guys that'll do it for our counter-strike discussion uh joe wong thanks so much for joining us thank you this of course was the much vaunted mega weekend in esports as we saw the conclusion of the dota 2 shanghai major uh as well in addition to the counter-strike major uh and while the horrendous production issues uh from that tournament have been the focal point of the discussion surrounding the tournament uh we also came away with some really unexpected storylines as well uh yeah so for those of you who may not follow dota 2 that closely uh the traditional power centers for the game are china and eastern europe particularly russia and ukraine but in this tournament not one of the top eight teams were from uh china or eastern europe uh now admittedly eastern europe has sort of been on the wane for a while because a lot of that talent has, has sort of uh, gotten uh diffused across europe but the results in shanghai combined with the evil geniuses victory at the international uh leave a a lot of people wondering if a new era has dawned in competitive Dota 2. Yeah, this was 
a, a kind of like a hugely bizarre turn of events. And I, and I seriously doubt anybody really saw this coming. Um, for Eastern Europe, this was kind of a long time coming, though. Th this was the one region that I think everybody kind of saw this. Uh, the region of Eastern Europe has kind of been, or what they refer to as CIS Dota, uh, has kind of been slipping for quite a while as, as some of the major major teams uh, broke up over the last few years and their talent sort of scattered around the world. Uh, players like Puppy from Team Secret or Kuroki uh, from Team Liquid, who's actually a German player, uh, basically went to Northern Europe and got their own teams to captain and are proving you know really successful right now. Um, for the Chinese region, uh, this is a much, much more surprising turn of events. You know, China loves Dota 2, and there's an enormous and wealthy esports infrastructure built around the game uh, that resembles something like League of Legends in Korea. Uh, but for whatever reason, over the past six months, the Chinese teams have been performing worse and worse uh, on the world stage. Uh, but but China like has the building blocks, though. Like they're not going to be down for that long. Like I, I think they just need to go back to the drawing board, uh, rethink the way that the Chinese metagame has evolved uh, and come at things from a new perspective because China does kind of wax and wane when it comes to esports. And I think we're just kind of in a, in a down spiral uh, right now for, for the Chinese teams. Uh, but right now, like the, the upswing is for Northern Europe, uh, which has been recently been increasingly being seen as, as sort of the power center of Dota 2 right now with, with a few notable exceptions. Uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but one of the regions that's actually showing some promise right now is actually North America. Uh, <laughs> cross your fingers. Um, Evil Geniuses once again performed relatively decently. They didn't get the win that we were hoping for. Uh, but, but they're staying in the conversation as one of the best teams in the world. And I think that they deserve to be lauded for that. Uh, and surprisingly, Complexity Gaming uh, is an American Huge organization surprise. as well. And they surprised. Yeah, they surprised a lot of people with uh, with a fifth place finish there. Uh, they're they're actually uh, two fifths uh, American. <laughs> the three of their players are from Sweden, which again, uh, Northern Europe. Uh, all the talent seems to be coming from there. But it's an American organization. We could be proud of that somehow. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think the Dota scene is is kind of reeling and restructuring uh, in the wake of the complete inability of the Chinese teams to kind of make a dent in the competition uh, at Shanghai or at Frankfurt. Yeah. You know, it, it it might be worth asking if this is just a Dota story or whether it's a China story. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. Because Chinese teams have been hugely underperforming in League of Legends for the last six months as well. Uh, now, they're, they're two different games, but, you know, when you look at all of esports, like, this is a really striking regional slump, uh, especially when you consider that there's at least some organizational overlap between League of Legends and Dota in, in China. Uh, but, like, you know, this year, China's Premier League of Legends uh, League is is having a bad season. Uh, they had another, they had a bad week in, in Katowice. They, they performed really badly uh, there. And, you, you know, their top teams lost to Fnatic, uh, which is, which is a middling European uh, team right now. It's, it's something that just shouldn't have happened. Uh, and then you have Shanghai kind of turning out as an embarrassment uh, on the Dota front. And I, I know there, there are mitigating circumstances, right? Like there's that, you know, there's the fact that this comes on the heels of like Chinese new year. Right. And this is traditionally kind of a, it's a bad, it's a bad time to schedule tournaments for, for Chinese teams. Uh, but at the same time, like, it's interesting to see this see this storyline cropping up across two different esports centering on the same region. And I don't know why you'd have a region-wide issue like this crop up. Uh, although it, it might be reflective of the fact that, you know, China was a bastion of the original Dota mod competitive scene. And maybe as we move away, maybe as we move away from that era, you're starting to see infrastructure shortcomings take their toll. 
Yeah, and, and when you, when you talk about uh, the embarrassment for the for the Chinese scene, it's especially because this this was a tournament in Shanghai. This was in front of uh, you know home audiences who basically didn't even get to see their teams compete uh, because they weren't even they were barely even present in the, in the later stages of the, of the tournament. Um, but you know, I, I, when you talk about infrastructure shortcomings, I think that's what we're seeing in Eastern Europe. Um, but I really don't think that's the case in China. Uh, there's there's some really phenomenal talent that still exists there. Um, and the money that's flowing into that scene and has been for the last couple of years is unreal. Um, if you've ever seen some of the photos of, of LGD Gaming's team house, it, it, it's a friggin' mansion. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place. Uh, so there's just there's a lot of money behind the scene, and that, and generally where there's money, the talent tends to go, and people who are you know are working in the professional scene have the comfort and the ability to dedicate their lives to the game in a way that a lot of more broke teams can't afford, uh, and the, and the teams tend to perform well when that happens. So I, I absolutely believe. That, that China is going to bounce back from this. So, like, if North America can be experiencing sort of like an upswing, like a new dawn in competitive, a major competitive esport, um, then I'd submit that it is very foolish to count out the world, like the world's largest nation and and a major historical powerhouse in Dota two. Uh, but you know that's that's enough hand wringing about the Chinese MOBA scene. Uh, let's talk about the real issues. Is Puppy the greatest team captain in esports right now? You know, um, I almost want to say yes, simply so that I can stop underestimating him. <laughs> because for the last four to five months uh, since the original lineup of Team Secret uh, disbanded, uh, I, I think everybody in the world has been looking past Team Secret. You know, we saw that their their previous murderer's row of a team uh, fall apart and be replaced by a bunch of names that most of us didn't really know um, uh, alongside the, the highly familiar name of Puppy in the captain's spot. Uh, and, and the optics of it were horrible. Like, it, it looked like Puppy was the last person to stick with a disintegrating team. Um, it looked like he was the one who was like his name was on the contract. He was the one who signed the lease so he couldn't abandon it and go find a cooler place to live. Uh, and so what it, it looked like his last resort was to fill the roster with whoever he could find. And it turned out to be all the, most of these names that we weren't really all that familiar with or a lot of people who were generally subs uh, who filled in for other teams. But it, it turned out that he was building a team of just raw talent that he saw something in uh, that he could unite behind his sort of like Dota 2 mega mind. Well, and, and maybe that's maybe that's the thing, right? Like Team Secret were so incredibly hyped before the international, but yeah. at the same time, was there too much? Like, is there such a thing as having too many great players on one team, right? Like, not not to say that like, the, the, this team secret roster hasn't proven itself to be great, but do you think maybe he has an easier to captain uh, roster right now? Yes, absolutely. That, that That's definitely my theory on what's going on here is that there are a lot of young players on this team. There are a lot of players who who don't have, it seems like they don't have big egos. Certainly they don't have the track record uh, to give them a big ego. And, and it feels like what Puppy has been able to do is just sort of, you know, like like he purged the government so that he can be the supreme ruler and remove any any sort of question as to who is the in-game voice that you're supposed to be listening to. Um, and, and when we talk about hype with that previous secret team, it, it is important to me to... to remind everybody that team secret itself was the was the organization that fed into that hype they loved the hype i will never forget 
them coming to the, and I talk about this all the time, but I will never forget it. Them coming to the international, which is we're all wearing the same identical pair of black sunglasses, yep. just playing the villain role. Like they, they felt it in their bones that they had so much talent, so much raw ability that they couldn't be topped. Didn't one of the Chinese teams troll them later in the international by busting out sunglasses <laughs> as well? I don't know, but I hope so. And I hope there's video of it so I can go watch it. But I think we need to wait just a, like a few more tournaments before we start comparing Team Secret to Fnatic and Counter-Strike, uh, who you know, are, are, are currently accomplishing one of the great feats in the history of esports, uh, as, far, as far as I can tell. They might just be in the middle of a hot streak right now that's lasted about six months. That's, I don't know if you can call that a hot streak. Um, but you know, I, I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing if Team Secret can actually keep that magic going uh, as we look forward to the next major. And then maybe they can actually start to be compared uh, to some team like Fnatic. Because Fnatic, it, 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 what they've been able to accomplish, and, and I, won't, I won't belabor the point because we talked a lot about that with Joe, but what Flusha has been able to accomplish as team captain uh, of Fnatic, whether it's because he assembled a team of the finest players that, that money can purchase is, is one thing, or if it's because of his in-game leadership, we don't really know. Uh, but you know, we need to see Team Seeker perform a little bit better before we can actually start calling Puppy one of the greats of all time. Uh, but so far, right now, that's enough about the games of esports today. Now let's talk about esports tomorrow. Is there a tomorrow for esports, Andrew? Is there a tomorrow for us? Uh, well, the short answer is maybe not. Uh, you know, we've been doing this show since August. Uh, and it's been really kind of the highlight of uh, of my Mondays, Tuesday, and occasionally my Wednesdays when we get lazy and, and don't get a chance to get the show up. Uh, but it, it's been really, really fun to to follow the esports scene in depth and critically as, as uh, trying to be an authoritative voice on the subject. Uh, but Rob and I have kind of reached the conclusion that neither of us can really devote the time needed to guarantee that esports today uh, comes out every week anymore. To be clear, this is mostly Andrew's fault. <laughs> You brought up the subject, Rob. Don't 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 screw me on this. Uh, the the short version of the story is that for the for the past two years, uh, what Rob's alluding to is I've I've been writing a book uh, about the history of Eve Online uh, that I've now finished and have to devote all of my spare time to focusing on as as I launch the book and try to make sure that that actually goes really well. Uh, and I just don't have the the time available to follow esports at the level necessary to kind of to come on the show and as I mentioned to, to speak authoritatively authoritatively on the subject. Okay, so it's. It's only partially your fault then. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that as your book launch went from theory to reality, uh, <laughs> and I've sort of gotten a look at sort of my what my freelance life is going to be like this year, uh, it's gotten harder to make time to do this show the way we wanted to originally. Um, so, you know, if you've noticed the show going up a little later or a little more haphazardly of late, it, you know, it's because Andrew and I are basically trying to shoehorn it into a hundred <laughs> other things. Uh, the, yeah. the sheer number of times that you and I sort of look at each other on, on Monday and are like, you able to record today? No, thank God. <laughs> Neither am I. <laughs> uh, that, that's sort of a sign that, that, that something sort of slipped off the rails. Uh, and that's also sure. made it just less fun and more stressful than either of us really wanted, right? Like last summer and fall, this was a blast because it was us just hanging out and talking about esports. Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly yeah. this is like, you know, this is something that is like stealing time from other things that are that are incredibly important and uh, immediate and pressing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's for the good of the show and, and certainly our own sanity that we sort of put esports today on hiatus. 
Yeah, you know, and, and when we say that, we, it doesn't mean that we're going to be gone uh, forever or that this podcast will never come out again. Uh, but it does mean that as a weekly thing, uh, Esports Today is is probably finished. Uh, you'll probably see shows from us pop up uh, around big events or depressing StarCraft news when Rob and I are going to get together anyway, so we might as well hit the, hit the record button. Uh, but we're not going to be here every Tuesday doing this show for the foreseeable future. Uh, so if you follow the Idle Thumbs family of shows, uh, we'll probably be somewhere between dota today and the designer notes podcast in terms of frequency <laughs> which is to say so, sometime between never and monthly uh <laughs> is probably the frequency uh that we'll be doing this show uh but but yeah i mean i i certainly like hope we get to keep getting together and, and chatting about esports uh together and and with fantastic people like you know joe and and, and taylor yeah. And, uh, you know, like it, the community that that built around this show as well has been has been really spectacular, and it seems like a lot of the the scene drama and a lot of like upsetting stuff that you see, a lot of the childish stuff that you see around esports, really wasn't present in a lot of the people that we heard from from the show like we would hear all the time from people who were not traditionally part of the of what we consider to be esports we would get letters from from 50 year old women or from from older guys who, who are not part of the like 18 to 22 like quote unquote core demographic of esports and, and i think that's something we were both really really proud of yeah, it was definitely cool to sort of engage with these sports on that level uh, for that audience. Uh, and I look forward to doing more episodes in the future. Uh, but but for now, at least, uh, eSports Today as a weekly podcast uh, just, just has to – it has to go live on a farm in New Hampshire uh, for a little <laughs> while. Uh, so anyway, that'll do it for this edition of eSports Today, an Idle Thumbs podcast produced by Michael Hermes. Until next week, if you have any questions – Oh, oh no. There is no next week, Rob. This is so sad. Uh, well, you know what? You can still email us, uh, though, at, esp- at questions at esports.today. Uh, and if we're bored enough that day, we might even answer. <laughs> For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.